But uh, recently, there is a pastor whose ministry that I follow. A few weeks ago, I was watching him, and he, he's not a famous preacher. You wouldn't know his name if I called him. He pastors a church of maybe 300 people or so in Oklahoma. But I follow his ministry, and he took his pulpit several weeks ago on a Sunday morning, and this is a direct quote from him, what he said. He said, the load has become too heavy. When a world has become siloed by sickness, the load has become too heavy. When a nation whose pledge boldly states that we believe in the liberty and justice for all, instead sees vigilantes, some wearing a uniform and others in stolen clothes, killing, maiming, and destroying, all because of a deep-rooted hate that has yet to heal, the load has become too heavy. When a booming economy has brought has been brought to its knees and doors are closed, dreams are broken, and hope is lost. The load has become too heavy. When the unborn or those who were born a long time ago are left unprotected or left alone to suffer and die, he said, I stand here today with my shoulders hunched. My back is aching. My heart is burdened. My brow is furrowed. The load has become too heavy. Pastor Steve Ely from Passion Church in Oklahoma. And in times like this, a word surfaces in my mind. And in the chaotic moments of each day, many times the past several weeks, that word has pushed its way into my spirit. And it is the word deliverance. I present to you this morning that we need to be delivered. Our country needs to be delivered. If we will be honest with ourselves and each other, most of our churches need to be delivered. God's people, the majority of us, need deliverance in some area of our lives. And better yet, this world needs deliverance in ways most of us would have never thought the world we find ourselves living in would ever be bound. We need deliverance. We need somebody to take a stand and to proclaim and declare with authority and power because we've lost that in the church today. With authority and power, let my people go. Where are those this morning who won't? I know we've got both ends of the spectrum to deal with, but where are those this morning who won't settle for just safety or slavery? Where are the men and the women who won't take short trips into freedom only to return to the chains of hate, anger, and bondage that they were bound in? Where are those who have not only experienced freedom, but also have the ability to lead other people to taste the sweet flavor of God's freedom for themselves? We've also lost that. Where are those people that can lead others to the life-giving water. See, when this church was founded, 
It was founded on the vision for freedom. We are Freedom Point Church. That's our name. Our mission statement says we are free to love, free to serve, and free to worship. How many times have you heard that? We are supposed to be the place and the pinpointed time of freedom in the lives of those who are bound. It's what we're supposed to be. But I submit to you this morning that bondage is common. Bondage is common. Most of us are bound in some area of our lives. Most of us spend a good deal of time focusing on and seeking deliverance from habits, from sickness, from toxic relationships, if we'll admit that they're toxic to begin with, and many other things. And because bondage is common, the cry and the plea for deliverance is not uncommon. The church still knows to cry and plea for deliverance. However, I believe that the issue that we face is that although the cry and plea for deliverance is common, the lack of cooperation with deliverance is equally as common. We See, we cry for deliverance, but deliverance is often complex. And deliverance is almost always accompanied by difficulties that we got to be willing to embrace or navigate through in order to experience true freedom. Listen to your pastor this morning. I want us to be free. Does anybody else want to be free? But I also want us to understand what we must do in order to be free. And it isn't that deep into our text today, and we're going to get into our text. But it isn't too deep into our text today. I'm only going to read six verses. That the heavy weight of bondage is discovered. The load had become too heavy. 430 years of slavery. Harsh slave masters had become harsher. The load had become too heavy. Long days in the hot sun with no breaks, no rest, no mercy, relentless work. The load had become too heavy. And the account that we're going to read this morning, if you'll stand with me all over the room, only six verses from Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2. This account that we're going to read demonstrates another moment when the burden has become too difficult to carry and what were once strong shoulders are now stooped almost to the breaking point. Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, and I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread. And the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all of their demands. Now I want us to drop down to chapter 2, verse 23. Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help. Watch this. And their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning. And He remembered His covenant promise. 
to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel, and he knew that it was time to act. I want to preach to you this morning for a few moments. Deliverance, part one. Today we're going to talk about desperation. If you will, lift your hands toward heaven and pray with me and for me. Father, I thank you again this morning for your presence I feel in this room right now. We bless your name. We thank you, Lord, for the service this morning. I thank you for the Holy Spirit speaking to us. God, through the gift of tongues and interpretation in the first service, we thank you for that today. But God, I thank you for speaking to us through your word today. So I'm going to ask you in the next few moments that, Lord, once again, that you would touch my physical body and help me to effectively communicate your word this morning. And God, that you would anoint every ear for the next few moments in this room and watching my live stream to hear. Because God, you do have a word for your people today. Anoint every ear to hear. Remove every distraction. Anoint our hearts to receive your word. And God, I ask you more than anything today that your word would come forth in the demonstration of your spirit and with power. Because God, when it does, it is effective and it will touch hearts and change lives and we give you the glory the honor and the praise for that and for what you're going to do in advance in the mighty name of Jesus we pray and everybody said amen you may be seated thank you Nicholas this could be a sermon in and of itself but let me just say this the very place that God uses to rescue you can turn into a trap if you stay there too long. The very place that God uses to rescue you can turn into a trap if you stay there too long. We see this in this story. Sometimes the people, even, that God brought into your life for a season can seduce you into destruction if you try to elevate them to lifers when they were only there to teach you a lesson. Somebody needs to hear me this morning. Quit fretting about the people that walked away and left you because God only ordained them to be there for a season and to teach you a lesson. Quit trying to hold on to a destructive relationship that God has severed and set you free from. I'm talking to somebody in this house today. Quit trying to hold on and make a lifelong relationship with somebody that God says, uh-uh, I've cut that off. Quit fretting it. If I have learned anything, one of the things I have learned in my life is that sometimes God allowed people into my life for a season for one reason, and that reason was to teach me a lesson. Even people that have passed through, some people that have passed through this church, God allowed them for a season to teach me a lesson. What I want you to see today is this. Deliverance requires desperation. Will you say that with me? Deliverance requires desperation. Now, in our text today, their cry for rescue from slavery, the Bible said it came up to God. And God heard their groaning. That's what the Word said. 430 years of bondage led them to their desperate cry for help. I read that and I thought, my God, I pray that we don't have to suffer 430 years before we become desperate enough in this nation to cry out to God again. 
I hope we don't have to suffer 430 years before we become desperate enough to cry out to God for intervention. Listen, deliverance requires desperation. If you go through the Bible and some of the stories that you read, you'll you'll see as David was hearing the defiance of a blasphemous giant, he cried out when he was falsely accused in desperation. And David said, is there not a cause? A cause for what? A cause for him to go down and do battle. A cause for him to be one that would rise up and stand up and fight. Elijah, if you take him for example, we, we read the example of where he throws down the gauntlet to to a backslidden, lukewarm, apathetic people and he challenges them with this question, how long will you halt between two opinions? If God is God, then serve him. But if Baal is God, then serve him. I want to tell you something today. That's a question that needs to be asked in the church. If we wonder why we're not seeing deliverance. If we wonder why we are not seeing people set free by the power of God. It's because we have a church. I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about the church world in general. We have a church in this day and time that wants to halt between two opinions. They want to have it this way at church and this way in their personal life. But I want to tell you, you've got to do what Joshua said. You've got to choose you this day who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. You've got somebody says, we don't have to make a choice between this or that. Yes, you do. We don't have to make a stand between life, being pro-life or not pro-life. Oh, yeah. Yes, you do. You are responsible to take a stand and to make a choice. You can't halt between two opinions and teeter-totter on the fence and expect to see the delivering power of God. You've got to say, if God is God, then with everything in you, serve Him. But if Baal is God, or if the world is God, then serve Him. But make a choice. Desperation. I'm asking today, do you understand about that term? When we talk about desperation, I I, I want to talk about people who see the condition and they see the situation and they're so moved by a desperate desire for change. People who refuse to back down and accept that it will always be like it's always been. My question to you this morning is this. Where is our desperation? Have we become too comfortable with status quo? Have we become too comfortable with just good enough? Have we become comfortable with survival? Have we become comfortable with less than? Have we become comfortable with almost, oh, somebody help me preach this morning, almost free, almost well, almost revived, almost on fire from God? No, where are those who will cry out to God? Where are those who will say, if we go, we may die, but if we stay here, We will surely die. 
Where are those who will press through the crowd, like I talked about a few weeks ago, desperate enough just to get a hold of just the hem, just the edge of his garment? Where are those people who will sit on the side of the road and refuse to stop crying out to God even when the majority tells them to be quiet? Oh, I know that there's a there's a thought philosophy that says that we're too loud. Pentecostals are too loud. I'm not even talking about Pentecostal, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, First Christian, or whatnot. What I'm talking about is where are the people who are desperate enough for God that they will cry out regardless of what the world says, regardless of what the situation looks like, regardless of what comes against them, because they know that they know when they become desperate enough and cry out to Almighty God, God will hear and God will see and God will act on their behalf. Where are those? And I want to tell you, I'm going to stop right here and say, I thank the Lord for helping me preach. I didn't cough one time in the 845 service and I'm not looking to cough now. Hallelujah. Where are those who are being swallowed up for the last time? By the waters of fear and anxiety. My Lord. My Lord how bad fear and anxiety is in our world today. And will cry out for the deliverer. Where are those people? See the deliverance dilemma that, that we have. Is that we will most likely be delivered to the degree that we are desperate. Let me say that again. The deliverance dilemma that we have is that we will most likely be delivered to the degree which we are desperate. God help us if the people of God become soulmates with sickness. Somebody help me. If we become satisfied with sadness and depression. If we become bedfellows with bitterness. I want to tell you bitterness is something we don't talk about in the church a lot today. But bitterness will destroy your victory and sap your joy quicker than anything else in your life. God help us that we don't become best friends with brokenness. Listen to me. We must become more committed to deliverance than we are addicted to comfort. We must become more committed to deliverance than we are addicted to comfort. Is there any desperation evident in your life? If not, then more than likely, there won't be any deliverance either. Another thing that I want you to understand this morning is this. Too often, we mistake despair or disappointment for desperation. Too often, we mistake despair and disappointment for desperation. I believe that sometimes we feel like we're desperate, but we're really full of despair. We've actually given up. Sometimes we would say that we're desperate, but the truth is that we're really just sad. Our faith is dead. We would say that we're desperate, but we're really so filled with disappointment that we get bitter. We become negative and always see ourselves as the victim. 
There's a difference between despair and disappointment or desperation. And I want to tell you something this morning. I know that that's a trap of the enemy. Because those who have made that mistake and have confused despair and disappointment for desperation, they won't do anything. Those people won't take any action. They won't make any changes. Don't ask them to adjust anything in their lives. What are you talking about, Pastor? Some people that you ask, do you want to be free? Come on and worship with us. No, no, I need to be by myself. You may ask them, do you want to be free? Find a connect group when we could still have connect groups. But they say, no, no, I, I don't have time for a connect group. Well, do you want to be free? Let's, let's go to finances. Do you want to be free financially? Change your spending habits. Oh, oh, no, but I, but I really want this. As a matter of fact, I think I need this. Somebody help me preach this morning. What about, what about in your health and in your lifestyle? Do you want to be free? Try to get some exercise and do some healthy things. No, no, that's okay. I think I'll just sit here like I've been sitting here every night for the last five years. Don't ask me to adjust. Don't ask me to do anything any different. See, we've got a church today that's crying out for deliverance, but they don't want to adjust anything. They don't want to make any changes. They don't want to take any action. They don't want anybody to tell them to do anything any differently than what they've already been doing. But the definition of insanity is trying to do the same thing over and over and expect different results. If you want deliverance, make some changes. If you want deliverance, make some adjustments. And don't mistake your despair and disappointment for desperation. Listen, the children of Israel weren't desperate because they couldn't stay where they were. No. They were desperate because they knew they shouldn't stay where they were. There's a difference. Why? Because they had a promise. Some of y'all are going to be excited. I'm not going to preach real long today. They had a promise. I'll talk about the promise at the end of my message. But what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that it is time for the people of God to move from despair and disappointment to desperate. It is time for the people of God to move to desperate. Don't give up and don't wallow. Don't give up and don't wallow. Instead, allow what you are bound in propel you to cry out again for forgotten and delayed promises. Is there anybody in the house this morning that can think of a promise that God made to you? Let me see your hand. Anybody? Yeah, all over the room. That's what I thought. Anybody else? Think of a promise that God made to you. Instead, allow whatever it is that you're bound in, whatever the situation is, allow that to propel you to cry out to God again for forgotten and delayed promises. See, here's what's happened. You've settled. You've developed a routine. Your calendar has become comfortable. But remember, it could be different. Recall the promise. 
become desperate for what is supposed to be, hello somebody, rather than what I have convinced myself is the norm or the new norm or the way that it's going to be. Don't get it twisted. I could stay here. I could be settled with this. Oh, but I remember I have a promise of more. I remember God made me a promise of more. So I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to settle. I'm going to keep holding on to that promise. Desperation must overtake your despair. Desperation must overtake your despair. Desperation must dislodge your disappointment. Desperation's got to replace your despondency. What did the word say? I will discard the garment of heaviness for the spirit of praise. I'm going to make a decision to take off the garment of heaviness and exchange it for the spirit of praise. Now, this is a term that maybe I only use because I'm a lender and one of the things that I've done is collected past dues for 25 years but or 20 years that I've been lending. But anyway, 25 in banking. But desperation also must overtake delinquency. Let me, let me talk about that for just a minute. What, what are you talking about? That's, you become delinquent when you quit paying. So as a child of God, we become delinquent when we quit expecting. When we quit showing up with expectation. But instead of, of, of becoming delinquent and not showing up in expectation, we got to become so desperate for God that I will expect to see Him to move because I'm seeking Him. Because I know what His Word says. Because I know that He said, if any, two or three agree together, touching any one thing in my name, it shall be done. Because His Word said, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Because I know that His Word said, is there any sick among you? Let Him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over Him, anointing Him with oil, just like we did for Ray White before he went back for this scan this past week. Let them anoint Him with oil. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick And the Lord shall raise him up And if he's committed any sins They shall be forgiven Promises in the word of God Desperation is born in hope You can't have hope without a promise You can't be desperate If you don't have a promise Hope, even in our country is what causes us to fight for freedom. Hope in our Christian walk is what causes us to fight for freedom. It's the promise that there is more than this that forces us to fight. And I want you to notice something this morning. When you are finally moved to desperation, you've got to be moved. But when you're finally moved to desperation, God is moved to action. We read that in our passage of Scripture this morning. It was when the people remembered what had been promised. They cried out to God. And God recalled, the Bible said, His covenant and His promise. God recalled that promise He made to you. 
when you're desperate enough to cry out to God, He'll recall that promise He made to you. Now I want to talk about promise and I'm almost done. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 in the New Living Translation when we talk about promise. I love this translation. Here's what it says. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. Watch this. For God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let me read that again. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep His promise. So hallelujah. It's time to remember the promises so that hope can rise up inside of you again. Did you hear your pastor? It's time to remember the promises so that hope can rise up in you again. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying that in his word, he promised us that we could have life and have it more abundantly. In his word, he promised us that we could be healed and whole. What did he say? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And what? With his stripes, we are healed. That's a promise in the word of God. He promised us joy unspeakable and full of glory instead of being bound by fear and anxiety and depression and being tormented by those evil spirits. Stand on the promise. Hold tight to the promise in God's word of joy unspeakable and full of glory. He promised you, mama and daddy, that your children that you trained up in the ways of the Lord would not depart from what you taught them when they get up. They may be astray right now, but don't you give up. You hold tightly to the promise of God. Hallelujah. He promised that I would be blessed coming in and going out. He promised in His Word that every voice that rises up against you in accusation would be silent. I love what the word said when it said when the enemy comes in like a flood the spirit of the Lord I feel that this morning the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. You can know, the Word said, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. The Word said, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith God. Every voice that rises up in accusation will be silent. Just like I preached a few weeks ago, he promised me that the dry bones of my dreams could live again. He promised me that the dry bones of my dreams could live again. Do you have any hope today? Because church, I see people in this world all around us who are angry. It's one of the best words I know how to describe. Angry. Full of anger. They're frustrated. I see people who are 
fed up. They're full of bitterness. But what I don't see is a lot of people who are so full of hope that it drives them to the point to cry out in desperation for the only one who can deliver us. See, we know that they're not filled with the kind of hope I'm talking about because they're asking for the government or politicians, God help us, or doctors or scientists to solve what only one can solve. We aren't desperate enough until we return placing our hope in the only one who can fix this. We aren't desperate enough until our hope is fixed on Him and Him alone. You see, God knows when we are desperate and He sees us. And you've got to be desperate enough to hold on tight to His promise. I want to revisit the three verses in Exodus chapter 2, beginning with verse 23. Years passed. The king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out to God for help. And their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning. And then God, I'm not talking to you Siri, remembered His covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, maybe I am, maybe Siri needs deliverance. Hallelujah. And he remembered, God heard their groaning. And he remembered, I want you to get that. I want you to get that. I know that was funny. She just started talking to me. God heard their groaning. Catch this. And then he remembered. God heard their groaning. Then he remembered. Did you catch that? That was the order. Had they not cried out in desperation, Not that God would have forgotten the promise, because God's waiting on our desperate cry to fulfill the promise. God heard their groaning. He remembered His covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now watch this. He looked down on the people of Israel, and He knew it was time to act. As they come to the music this morning, or this afternoon, I want to ask you, is God seeing you cry out in desperation? Are you desperate enough to hold on to His promise and cry out so that He'll hear you? Before they sing this morning, I want to play a video clip, share just an illustration with you that the Lord laid on my heart. It's actually of a football game from 2014. Some of you, if you're sports fans, may have seen it. If not, you probably haven't. But the game was Utah versus Oregon in 2014. I believe it was November the 12th, maybe. But anyway, Utah's wide receiver at the time, Kalen Clay, 
is running a 78-yard touchdown. It's a one-minute video. I want you to direct your attention to the screen. And if you're watching by live stream, I apologize. You may not have sound on this, but you can watch it nonetheless, and I'll explain. But everybody else, just for one minute, if you will, watch this video. It's on third down and five, a lot of time. Looking down the field, has got a man open. Down the field, it's caught at the 35, at the 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. It's a touchdown. Just do that. I think they got some balance in the passing game. The play is still alive. Oregon's running the play back. Wait a minute. He, they said he fumbled it going across the goal line? Oregon's running into the end zone, and they're saying it's a touchdown back the other oh way. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? They said that tra they said that Kalen Clay let go of the ball before he crossed the plane. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. And Oregon runs it back for a touchdown. What? We've got to see this on the replay. And instead of this game being 14-0 Utah, it's going to end up being 7-7. Thank you. If you're watching at home and you didn't get to hear the audio, Kalen Clay runs a 78-yard touchdown. Gets to the end zone, and at the one-yard line, he drops the football. Celebrates, the whole team celebrates. But Oregon has a player that realizes the ball never made it to the end zone. And he picks up the ball that was meant to be a 78-yard touchdown for Utah. And he runs the other way for what becomes a 99-yard touchdown for the other team. If you'll stand with me all over the room this morning, I'm going to share something really brief with you. Then we're going to open this altar. If you'll put Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 on the screen for me again. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Here is what I see in the Spirit. Too many times the people of God know the promise. They have the promise. They hold on to the promise. They run with the promise. Sometimes more than 75, if you want to get exact, 78%. The length of the field, they run holding the promise. They know that God promised it to them. They know that they received the promise from God. But yet, they get to the one yard line. They get one yard away from the finish line. And they drop the ball. And they drop the promise that God gave them. When I watched this video, I thought about this, and I don't know if you noticed it or not, but what made Kalen Clay drop the ball at the one-yard line? Here's what I think it was. He was a good guy and a great player, but he was also at that point, at that particular point in the game, after running 77 yards before dropping the ball, he was also full of pride. He was also ready to celebrate prematurely. 
He was already allowing pride to enter in and starting to celebrate before he ever made it across the finish line. He allowed pride to prevent him and to stop him from scoring. And when pride got in the way and he became distracted because too many times the people of God become so proud in themselves that they're distracted from what God wants to do in their life. The pride of whatever they're involved in. The pride of I can do it on my own. The pride of I can do it by myself. Pride Pride, pride, pride to the point to where they carry the promise almost to the finish line only to drop the ball before they cross the line. Then the enemy does what the enemy does. He comes and he snatches that promise. And before you know it, you're 100 yards back from where you were. What are you saying this morning, Pastor? I'm saying... Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I'm saying you know the promise that God made to you. I don't know what that promise is. Only you know what that promise is. You know the promises that God has made to you. And the Word said, let us hold tightly without wavering to the promise. For the God, the God that we serve can be trusted with His promise. Let us hold tightly. You know what the promise is that God has made to you. Some of you, maybe it's your children. Maybe they've strayed from the Lord. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your business. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's something else. But you know what the promise is that God has made to you. And if you do anything this morning, hear your pastor when I say, whatever you do, you might be running well sometimes. You might think you don't need nobody's help. You might think you can face this by yourself. You may feel like you're going to make it all the way on your own but whatever you do don't let pride deceive you don't let pride distract you don't let pride keep you from crossing the finish line why because God's got a promise that he made to you God's got a promise that if you'll cling to it and if you'll keep running and you'll keep trusting and you'll keep praying and you'll keep believing and you'll keep holding on to that promise God himself will try Transports you over the goal line and you'll see God's promise fulfilled in your life. I'm going to pray and as they sing we're going to open this altar and if you have a need you have a promise that God has made to you that you need to see fulfilled if you want to put your mask on and come into this altar I want you to come get a hold of your promise and not let go today if you want to pray at your seat I want you to get a hold of your promise and not let go today Father I thank you today for your word I thank you today God for your spirit I thank you God for the promises that you have made your word says your promises to your children are yes and amen. Let God's word be true and every man a liar. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. You promised us healing. You promised us deliverance. You promised you would restore marriages. You promised us, God, you would heal sick bodies. God, we stand on your word today. We hold to your promise today that you you will do what you say you will do.